Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Employee morale is more important than you may think. It has a direct impact on productivity and profitability. When employee morale is high, employees are happier, more engaged, and the quality of work produced increases significantly, which allows companies to be more profitable. In this HCI podcast episode, I explore these topics and provide some ideas for how to boost employee morale everyone. Welcome to today's webinar on creative ways to boost employee morale and engagement. My name is Lois and I will be the host for today's webinar. And today's webinar will be presented by Jonathan H. Westover, who has the same area of expertise. Jonathan Westover is an associate professor of organizational leadership and ethics in the Woodbury School of Business, is a director of academic service learning and previously the associate di director of the Center of the Study of Ethics. He is also a human capital leadership and performance management consultant, a CIPD academic fellow and a HEA senior fellow. He is a regular visiting faculty member in many international graduate businesses programs in US, UK, France, Belarus, Poland, and China. With that quick introduction, let's start today's presentation. John? Thank you. Thank you for the introduction, and it's a pleasure to be here and to have an opportunity to talk with you all about something that I'm very passionate about, and that is employee morale and engagement. Um, I want to start off our session here today just with a brief agenda. Um, you can see what I intend to cover over the next uh, 45 to 50 minutes uh, prior to the Q&A. Uh, first, I'll start off with the personal introduction, which will include a little bit of an explanation of some of my research, uh, followed by really getting into the meat of the session, uh, why employee engagement and morale, uh, a look at the shifting context for employee engagement and changing trajectories of work, the global business context and the future of work landscape, strategic HR considerations, and then finally approaches to increasing employee engagement and morale. And that last point is probably the primary reason why most of you are uh, signed up to uh, engage in this this uh, webinar today. Uh, so I hope we have plenty of time uh, to talk about some of those points. And I look forward to the questions that you'll have. Let me start with a quick personal introduction. Um, you already heard a little bit about my professional bio. Um, my research in the area of employee engagement goes back about 15 years and I've published a variety of academic articles and books uh, related to varying topics of employee engagement, job satisfaction, work quality characteristics, and employee motivation, uh, not just domestically here in the United States, but also globally. Uh, and I've done many um, 
many projects looking at comparative international differences in employee uh, motivation, morale, and engagement in uh, one of the core areas of my expertise and what I continue to uh, conduct research on and uh, to teach about uh, in my faculty role here at, at my home campus. On this slide, you can see a few of my recent works related to, to the topic for today. Um, very recently, I had an article um, in the Sherm magazine uh, about the future of work and looking at some of the more recent um, publications, the books that have come out related to trying to understand uh, the role of rapidly increasing technologies and how that's going to reshape the nature of work and the experience of employees in the workplace. My own book then was released uh, at the beginning of October, Shifting Trajectories in Globalization, Labor, and the Transformation of Work. And this is currently available uh, and looks primarily at uh, shifting nature of and transformation of work over the last 50 plus years in the global economy uh, with some look forward about what those trajectories uh, and uh, pathways from, from the last several decades, um, how that influences what will likely happen in the coming decades. Uh, finally, a resource that I wanted to share with you that's readily available um, for free to everybody is a free open education resource textbook that I've put together called Strategic Human Resource Management. We use this on my home campus at Utah Valley University uh, for our intro uh, human resource management course. It's a completely free uh, PDF ebook uh, that you can utilize uh, as, a, as a reference source uh, for your organization, uh, which may, might be particularly useful for small to medium-sized organizations that don't have a large dedicated uh, HR staff dealing with these sorts of issues. And of course, a large section of this book, several chapters focus on various aspects of employee engagement, on performance management, and uh, worker satisfaction and work quality characteristics. Uh, so hopefully uh, that could be a helpful resource uh, to all of you. Now let's talk a little bit about the why. Why employee engagement and morale? So I have a series of quotes I want to share just to help frame uh, the discussion uh, for this webinar. This first quote is from Jack Welch, former CEO of GE. He said, there are only three measurements that tell you nearly everything you need to know about your organization's overall performance, employee engagement, customer satisfaction, and cash flow. It goes without saying that no company, small or large, can win over the long run without an energized employees who believe in the mission and understand how to achieve it. So again, let me emphasize those aspects of organizational performance that he sees as, as essential. Employee engagement, customer satisfaction, and cash flow. Now, obviously, we have to have customers uh, who are satisfied with our product or service. They will then buy those products or services to create cash flow. But remember that you won't be able to provide those products or services without your people, without the employees at the organization, and without engaged employees, you will not have innovation and you will not have creativity that will drive the next future um, products that you provide. So it's very contingent, um, organizational success and performance is very contingent on having engaged employees. 
another quote by Marilyn Carlson, former CEO of Carlson Companies. She said, on what high-performing companies should be striving to create a great place for pe great people to do great work. So she's focusing on creating a, a wonderful work environment with a, uh, a strong company culture that will attract and retain great people who then in turn will turn around and have good performance and do great work. That's at the core of what every organization is trying to accomplish. And some organizations uh, do pretty well with it, but the vast majority of organizations really struggle to consistently find ways to engage their employees in such a way that they can really attract and retain those best people um, to get them to, to contribute, to create that great work to help their organization thrive. Another quote uh, by David Zinger, employee engagement is the art and science of engaging people in authentic and recognized connections to strategy, roles, performance, organization, community, relationships, customers, development, energy, and happiness to leverage, sustain, and transform work into results. So again, I, I like in this quote, uh, engagement as the art and science of engaging people in authentic and recognized connections. Uh, it's employee engagement that will transform work into results. Uh, every organization has, has people who do things and accomplish tasks and have some sort of results, but you want to, to have high level, sustained, transformational results. And that's what's gonna help you be competitive in a global marketplace um, that's hyper uh, competitive with increasing levels of, of competition due to technological innovation and uh, increased globalization that's making the world ever smaller. A couple more quotes. Zig Ziglar said, research indicates that workers have three prime needs. Interesting work, recognition for doing a good job, and being let in on things that are going on in the company. So the last uh, few quotes have talked about the why employee engagement is important. This one starts to look at the how. Uh, how do you accomplish employee engagement? Uh, well, according to Zig Ziglar, he says, interesting work, recognition for doing a good job and being let in on things that are going on in the company. They need to feel passionate about what they're doing. It has to be interesting and resonate with them. They have to be uh, rewarded appropriately for the work that they do and have some sort of recognition. And, and then they have to feel like they're part of things, that they're part of a bigger discussion, that people will listen to them, that they're connected throughout the organization. When you can do those three things, it's, it's amazing how quickly you can enhance the employee engagement levels uh, within your organization. Peter Thale said, you'll attract the employees you need if you can explain why your mission is compelling, not why it's important in general, but why you're doing something important that no one else is going to do to get it done. So again, in here, we're talking about one way to enhance or increase uh, employee engagement, and that's through having a compelling mission, and not just a mission uh, that goes up on the website and on a banner or a plaque on the wall, but really a mission that's at the heart and core of the company culture uh, that's really driving what the company does day to day. When you can have that kind of compelling mission, you will attract and retain great employees. Uh, and that's the bottom line. 
So let's take another quick look. This, this uh, diagram summarizes a vast area of research. Uh, each of these boxes and arrows represents uh, hundreds if not thousands of studies that have been done analyzing organizations and their people and their interaction with customers and their performance to try to understand how they all interconnect. Um, so let me just talk through this with you for a minute uh, and hopefully very quickly it becomes clear that if you want a high performance work system, if you want a successful organization, it starts with having engaged employees. So let's start on the top left corner, interesting jobs. When you design jobs that are fundamentally at their core, interesting, salient to the worker, something that, they, that will get them up in the morning, uh, that they get excited to go to work, uh, maybe even the cliche where you, you don't work a day in your life because you love what you do. Um, no, that's not always possible, obviously. And not everyone's gonna love all of their jobs or every aspect of their job. But if you can be thoughtful and strategic about how you design jobs to make it actually interesting to align well with the strengths of your employees, uh, where they, they find that passion in what they do, there is so much research that shows that that will increase the satisfaction level of your workers, which in turn increases their motivation um, and a variety of other positive psychological factors. When you have satisfied workers, that leads to satisfied customers. So if we follow the arrow down to the dark green box, satisfied workers leads to satisfied customers. If we go from left to right, we know that satisfied workers will lead to lower absenteeism. It'll lead to lower turnover. People will come to, to the job and they'll stay in the job. So you're not constantly churning through employees, constantly trying to fill open positions, trying to train new employees and getting them up to speed to be able to do the job well, but you have people who are committed to the organization, they're committed to their job, um, and they're gonna show up day to day, and they're gonna stay there for a long time. Of course, those things, low absenteeism and low turnover, those lead to a reduction in costs for the organization. And anytime you reduce costs, you increase profits. So from the cost side, we see how developing, engaging, interesting jobs will lead to a higher profits and, and better financial performance for organizations. Uh, let's look uh, from the other side as well. When you have engaging places to work where employees love their job, uh, where they have an environment that's a high performance work culture, where they are working collaboratively with each other, it creates this knowledge sharing environment. And when you have jobs that are knowledge sharing jobs, which is increasingly important in, in the type of economy that we have today, where we've had a huge shift away from, from production-based type jobs uh, to service-oriented service sector, financial services type jobs and tech sector type jobs. These all re rely heavily on knowledge sharing culture. Knowledge sharing increases innovation, it, in it increases productivity, Innovation leads to all sorts of great things, certainly higher quality, but also new and innovative products and services that will satisfy customers. Uh, satisfied customers lead to higher sales because they're buying more of your stuff uh, and greater productivity and higher sales both lead to higher profits. So no matter what way you look at it, 
from whatever angle you uh, try to tackle this, this issue, if you're trying to have a high-performance work system that leads to high profits um, and strong, sustainable companies, you need engaging work, engaging jobs that will increase innovation, that will attract and retain the best employees, that will satisfy your customers, and have the products and services that will allow you to be successful in the long run. Uh, and the reality is that many organizations are simply doing what they can day to day to get by. They're, they're in the grind uh, and they're trying to make payroll and they're, they're just doing whatever they can do to keep the doors open and to try to respond to customer uh, needs, wants and complaints. Um, they, they're often focused on putting out fires and a lot of times, um, the strategic elements of creating a knowledge sharing culture, of, of creating uh, jobs that are highly interesting types of work, uh, those, those types of discussions and questions often get put on the back burner, especially in medium to, to small businesses. Uh, so it's, it's a great opportunity for organizations with even a, a fairly rudimentary level understanding on how this all works uh, to, to really greatly enhance uh, the opportunity in their workplace to have better outcomes. So this slide just summarizes a, a vast uh, amount of research uh, that shows how employee engagement leads to better performing, more profitable organizations. Now let's switch gears a little bit and talk about changing trajectories of work. And I want you to think about the last 50 years. Let's start with that. The last 50 years. Um, I'm, I'm almost 40 years old. So when I think of the last 50 years, you know, I, I can't think about that from personal experience. I can think about the last uh, 20 years, really, uh, maybe the last 25 years, if I count um, uh, teenage jobs. Um, and that's about all of, all of the time that I can go back. But even in the last 20 to 25 years, I can see a huge shift and change in the nature of work. But if I go a generation back, if I think about my parents um, who are now in retirement, and I think about uh, the types of work that they, that their world encountered, um, and the type of work that they did, uh, and that their contemporaries did uh, back during that time, uh, the economy has fundamentally shifted. And while there's certainly common threads that continue across the economy today, that continue across the global economy, there's been a, a fairly fundamental shift. We know that the sectoral composition of the United States uh, economy, for example, is vastly different today than it was 50 plus years ago. 50 plus years ago, it was predominantly an industrial economy. Uh, you had factory jobs. You had, we, we were a nation that produced stuff. Uh, and so people would go to work and, and work looked like uh, you, you, you get done with high school, maybe some college, you go to work for a company, you would uh, start at the entry level, and more often than not, you stay with that company your entire career. Over the course of your career, you had opportunities for advancement, you'd move your way up, uh, they were loyal to you, you were loyal to them, they were committed to you, you were committed to them, and there was this shared psychological contract of, of loyalty and commitment that you saw throughout your entire work lifespan. That's just getting into the organization and sticking with the organization. 
Then you look at the actual types of jobs that people did. And in an industrial type economy, there's a, a large amount of jobs that are, are manual labor types of jobs that are, are, are very uh, physically demanding types of jobs, uh, jobs uh, that uh, put you in a factory type setting. Now, obviously, uh, back 50 plus years ago, there were still service sector jobs and agricultural jobs and uh, teaching jobs and, and uh, retail jobs and all sorts of those sorts of things. But over time, we see a, a huge shift in, in the number of those types of jobs and the types of workforce training that people were doing to prepare for their careers and, and all those changes. So whereas 50 plus years ago, we had a sectoral composition where the vast majority of the economy was industrial with a, the second most being agricultural and followed by a service sector economy. Today in the United States, we're predominantly a service sector economy, followed then by uh, industrial and agricultural. But 80 plus percent of the US economy is service oriented. Now obviously there's a huge variety of types of things that fit into the service um, category uh, and a lot of that growth is driven through uh, financial service sectors and technology sectors. Uh, but the reality is the nature of the job for the vast majority of people shifted from a, a factory type of environment or an agricultural type of environment to an office type of environment. And you tack onto that the enhancement in technology over particularly over the last 30, 20, 10 years and you can see increased levels of automation, uh, computing resources and softwares that have displaced many types of traditional jobs. Uh, and we, we've seen, we can see that. We can see that clearly as we map out the nature of work over the last 50 years. So what does that all mean for the next 50 years? And, and what does that mean for employee engagement? So that's, that's where I wanna go next. And now, obviously, when we're thinking about the next 50 years, we don't have a crystal ball. We don't know what's going to happen. Uh, we don't know uh, what it'll look like in five years, let alone 10, 20, 30, 40, or 50. But we do see patterns, and we do have trends, and we can uh, explore, continue to explore those patterns and trends to have a reasonable picture of what things might look like uh, in the coming generations. So that's what I want to uh, now shift and explore with you a little bit. And as I do this, think, think specifically about what this means for your workplace. What does it mean for your job? What does it mean for the jobs around you? What does it mean for uh, attracting and retaining good employees? And how does employee engagement fit in to this new emerging scenario of the future of work? Now to do this, there's many different reports. Um, from different think tanks and different uh, companies about the future of work. Uh, but I thought I would share just a few highlights uh, from the World Economic Forum uh, from a little under a year ago. Uh, there were many great sessions, uh, many discussions, panels, and, and various presentations on a variety of topics. One particular panel that I thought was uh, super interesting was one on the global business context. And the, the main question posed to the panel, who were world-renowned leaders in business and industry, were that, you know, what's the next 50 years? The impact of technology on organizational leadership in the next 50 years. And interestingly, there is an amazing level of consistency 
across the responses of, of these individuals on the panel. All of them saw this clear movement from a linear setup in terms of organizational structure to more of a latticed or connected framework where organizations and individuals within organizations aren't going to be siloed anymore. It's not gonna be all linear, top down, bottom up, um, pyramid style structure, but rather everyone is going to need to work together uh, much more collaboratively and interactively where you may specialize in one area, but you still have to be able to work with people across a wide range of areas and that we're breaking through the silos. No longer is it satisfactory uh, if you want to be competitive in a global marketplace. No, no longer is it satisfactory for you to just be an expert in your individual narrow little field. But you have to both be an expert and be able to talk to experts in other areas and learn to work collaboratively with them. That's a challenge because, quite frankly, most people who are siloed and, and um, experts, deep experts in, in specific fields, most of them, uh, don't have the skill set to be able to talk uh, in functional ways with people from uh, with other vastly different areas of expertise. They also see the next 50 years in terms of organizational leadership where a shift where the leader has to be a challenger for organizations to be successful. organizational leaders to be successful and for organizations to be long-term sustainable uh, that they need to be challenging the status quo that they that challenge and disruption will be the new normal where, where every organization will have to learn how to learn better and faster and they'll have to learn how to be more rapidly responsive to get to an increasingly diversified consumer demand needs and wants uh, for this is not how traditional organizations are built. Uh, traditional organizations are bureaucracies, and they're built to maintain themselves. Uh, the future organization, led by the future leader with the future employees, uh, will need to be agile and adaptive, and will need to be able to uh, quickly respond to shifting um, economic trends and political trends and consumer demand. Additionally, they see a huge need for pushing a reskilling agenda within companies to create value. Uh, this includes the idea of lifelong learning. So we know that millennial or Gen Z individuals, um, both in the university setting as they're getting trained, as well as in the professional workplace as they're moving into their careers, we already know that they're switching jobs and even shifting careers much more rapidly than generations before them. And it's predicted that Gen Z individuals will be shifting not just jobs, but entire careers in the upwards of the double digits over the course of their work life. So what does that mean for organizations, um, especially when you have uh, uh, competition for good talent? Uh, it's particularly a, a skills deficiency, skills gap, in high high tech areas, uh, with 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 a good amount of soft skills to go along with technical expertise, we know that there's a gap in a lot of these fields 
already. And if we have a scenario in the future where organizations are going to be um, constantly turning over employees, not necessarily because the employee doesn't like their job or because the company isn't committed to them anymore or lays them off or whatever, but simply because that's going to be the new normal. It's going to be the new normal for people to switch jobs and careers more often. And so how do we prepare uh, future employees who maybe don't have the existing skills and abilities to do the future jobs? Uh, this is a huge challenge uh, for, for all organizations. And if they want to be competitive, they need to have a good workforce. And if they want to have a good workforce, they'll not only have to attract people with the skill sets, but they're going to have to be able to, to help their existing employees develop those skills. Another startling, perhaps disturbing um, aspect of the next 50 years is the idea of displacement of jobs. So there's a recent PricewaterhouseCooper um, report that projects that 40% of all current jobs will be replaced or displaced within the next 15 years. So think about that. This isn't new. Displacement of jobs is, has always occurred. Anytime you have new technology, um, old jobs fade away, new jobs are created. So the displacement of jobs isn't new, but the, the pace of, of displacement is what's startling here. 40% of all current jobs replaced or displaced within the next 15 years. Now, obviously we don't have a crystal ball and we don't know that for sure. We don't actually know that's how it's gonna work out. Um, but from, from what I've seen, from the various reports that I've looked at and various estimates, that 40% actually seems like it could be a fairly conservative number. That actually, it could be much more than that. Uh, and that is startling. Uh, so we have to think about how to lead organizations and how to attract and retain and, and, and uh, train and develop employees for jobs that don't even exist, that we haven't even contemplated on, that we haven't even thought about yet. Uh, and that's, uh, I mean, that's almost asking the impossible of organizations. So how do we do that? Uh, that that's some of what we need to talk about uh, today. Additionally, the hunt for talent in a robotic and automated economy. Uh, all companies, regardless of what they do, regardless of what their um, product or services are, they will be tech companies in addition to other things that they do. Uh, and they'll need to have people that have tech skills uh, and the hunt for talent will be hyper-intensive. Then we also have just shifting geopolitical landscapes. We have the rise of China, India, and the global south. We have uh, the changing nature of economies across uh, the Americas and Western European countries. Uh, we have the rise of, of countries uh, in Southeast Asia, for example. Uh, the, the current economic and geopolitical landscape that we see today is certainly different than it was 30 years ago. And undoubtedly, it's going to be different in the next 20 to 30 years. Uh, and so how do we prepare our organizations and our businesses for that? And how do we attract and retain employees, not just to live locally, uh, but how do we manage a virtual workforce with people who live literally all over the world? We've already seen movement in that direction and technology has allowed for, for that to happen, but predominantly most people still work where they live. Uh, but over time, we'll, we'll likely see um, a change in that as well, where, where you won't be location bound. There will be so many options for you to work um, 
in all sorts of different contexts and different places. So all of this I, I share with you again to provide some context uh, for how things look and how they might look uh, in the future. Uh, this slide outlines, there's way too much information in the slide to cover in, uh, in this short webinar. Um, this outlines some of the major uh, elements to the future of work, the underlying drivers, uh, how that will impact economic structures, how that will influence labor displacement, and ultimately how that influences the emerging landscape. Uh, and maybe to just, just highlight a few uh, elements of that. The underlying drivers of the future of work, uh, connectivity. Uh, we are increasingly interconnected as a global society, uh, far more than we were a generation ago, uh, and certainly more than a couple generations ago. And as we move even five to 10 years into the future, and certainly uh, the next generation, uh, there, there's almost no limitations to the global connectivity. Uh, we have to think about machine capabilities. We have to think about uh, machine learning, artificial intelligence, robotics, uh, the, the exponential increase in processing power, the decreasing cost of storage. Uh, I was reading an article just the other day on the quantum internet and how we may not actually be that far away from, from something uh, fundamentally different than, than what we currently use to share uh, information through a quantum internet. We have shifting demographics, we have shifting social expectations, all of these then feed into uh, shifting economic structures, labor displacement, and emerging technologies. Uh, and there's a, a lot that we can talk about under each of those categories. Let's then just briefly, and we could spend several hours talking about these, these disruptive technologies that will change labor markets. But just let's very briefly talk about um, some of these and, and think about the implications. Robotics is not new. We've had robotics uh, for a long time and they've become uh, better and better. And we've seen them in factories, uh, but robotics is now uh, entering into the retail space. We see more and more displacement of, of retail workers. We see more and more displacement of, uh, of uh, hotel personnel and other hospitality industry uh, people uh, through robotics. Think about electric cars. My family drives a couple of electric cars. Uh, the technology for electric cars has been around a long time and they've been, uh, I mean, there, there's a variety of reasons why it's been slow for adoption. Uh, but as more and more uh, people move towards electric vehicles, it has drastic implications for, for the automotive industry. Uh, think about self-driving cars. That's interesting for me to conceive about just as a, an individual citizen, as a person who drives a car around. That will change my life, certainly. But think about labor markets. Think about self-driving self cars when it comes to taxi services, when it comes to trucking um, companies. Uh, and shipping services. Uh, think about a whole fleet of uh, trucks on the freeways crossing the country that are self-driven vehicles. And we're not far from that. Uh, think about pharma, pharma, uh, pharmacogenetics. It's a hard word to say. Uh, the idea here basically being that we're not far from having the capabilities of making medications that are specifically targeted to each individual person and their, their individual genetics and the particulars of their own needs medically. 
right in the pharmacy where the, you know, the pharmacist can understand exactly what the person needs and then right there on the spot have the ingredients and be able to put together uh, the, the necessary uh, pharmaceuticals. Uh, we're not far from that uh, right now. And in the next five to 10 years, you know, that could have a major uh, shakeup to uh, certainly various aspects of the healthcare industry, the pharmaceutical companies, uh, a variety of other connected industries. The quantum web that I was talking about just a minute ago was built around this idea of quantum entanglement and the ability to uh, connect particles to where you can have two particles on totally different parts of the world and you do you change the characteristics or attributes of one particle and it simultaneously will change it on the other particle. So you could have a particle in China and you can have a particle in the United States and communicate instantaneously without any sort of cell coverage or wireless network or radio signal or anything. Um, this is already happening. Uh, researchers out of China have done some amazing work just within the last year um, to see this happening. And this has the potential in the next decade or two to, to have a major shakeup to a whole variety of industries. 3D printing, think about the retail space. Think about how big Amazon is. Um, and how they've shaken up the real retail space. Now, consider a scenario where every home has a 3D printer where I need a new pair of shoes or I need to go get a hockey mask or I need to get a basketball and I just go out to my garage and I print that uh, thing that I need. Now, we're not there yet, but we, we've seen uh, very rapid improvements in 3D printing. Uh, and it's not inconceivable that within the next 10 to 20 years that people could more or less be producing much of what they consume just within their own household, uh, just by having some raw materials to be able to produce what they need. Virtual presence. Uh, so we do a lot now with virtual teams through uh, WebEx or Skype or various technologies for video conferencing and such. Um, and there's, there's already decent hologram technology, but virtual presence technology is a little bit different. And that's where it's almost indistinguishable between having someone physically in the room with you versus having their virtual presence in there with you. So imagine what this means for global teams and global travel or travel industries. Um, if I can literally work in any part of the world from my home here in Warren, Utah, and it's not me just calling in or doing a video conference, but me actually seeming to be there. Uh, that's an incredible technology. Uh, blockchain, you've probably heard a lot about that. Uh, for sake of time, I'll kind of skip over that one. Um, augmented reality and auto translation are, are rapidly increasing and improving. Uh, I've already referred to retail about people when I talk about robotics. And then let's, let's really quickly just talk about artificial intelligence and machine learning. Because of the rapid increase in computing power, uh, it's, it's hard to imagine what will be possible and what won't be possible within the next five years in terms of artificial intelligence and machine learning and what that means for current jobs. So when PricewaterhouseCooper projected that 40% of, jo of current jobs could be displaced within the next 15 years, the reason why I say I think that could be a really conservative estimate is because of this one piece of uh, technology alone. Artificial intelligence and machine learning could fundamentally 
reshape and change much of the labor force, much of the types of jobs and industries that we're familiar with, and much of society as a whole. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. So I share all of that with you, again, just to provide some context. Um, and now let's talk a little bit about what this means in terms of strategic HR, and then spend the rest of our time talking specifically about what we can really do to engage our employees within this new context. So what are the core competencies of organizations that are prepared for these technological disruptions? What does this mean for HR budgets? What, what is the future role and importance of employee engagement within the organizations in the future? These are all very important questions that we should be grappling with uh, within our organizations and our leadership teams. Let's talk about the characteristics that go into making interesting and motivating jobs. So here you see a simple diagram. On the one end of the spectrum, you have less motivating or less engaging jobs. And on the other side, you have more motivating or more engaging jobs. It starts really with five core characteristics. There's tons and tons of research that have been, it's been replicated thousands of times that have identified these five core elements. It's called the job characteristics model. Uh, it's been replicated thousands of times since the 50s. Um, and obviously there are other factors too in, in more recent research has delved into parsing these individual factors out in multiple factors. That's much of what my own research does as well. But it all comes down to these five characteristics. Skill variety, um, do you have a job that's just repetitive where you only do the same thing over and over again or you have to have many skills involved in what you do? Task identity, where you're doing something that's the whole piece of the work where you can see what you're doing and how it connects uh, to everything else and why it's important versus work that's a small part of the whole. Task significance, uh, where, you're, where your job and what you're doing um, has a major impact on others versus a minor impact. And we know, I mean, the, the, all of these factors are important, they've been important for generations and for decades. Uh, but we know particularly about the millennial and Gen Z generations is that the idea of task significance and social impact, making an impact on others, is a huge driver for them. So if organizations want to find ways to attract and retain high-performing employees, they need to focus on all of these areas, but they particularly need to really focus on task significance and finding meaningful ways for employees, even new entry-level employees, to make a meaningful impact in the organization and on their surrounding communities. And if they can't do that, they're going to have a hard time engaging their employees. Uh, the last two then are autonomy. We hear about autonomy constantly. Nobody wants to be micromanaged. People want freedom to make decisions and determine how they, how they live their life and how they do their job throughout the day uh, within some structured scaffolding and some coaching and mentoring context. You know, people still want to have some control. Um, and so when, when that is the case, people are more motivated and they're more highly engaged versus you know, when they have all their decisions made for them. And then finally, feedback. Is the feedback effective, readily apparent, um, or is it difficult to see the effectiveness of the feedback? And also, feedback in terms of, do I learn about how I'm performing my job, not just from my boss or from my coworkers or, or from customer input, but do I learn about how I'm doing my job simply by doing the job and seeing how I'm performing and seeing what I'm creating and that it, in and of itself is, is helping me learn and grow and understand what I'm doing. If we can develop jobs that have that, that sort of feedback built in, 
then it becomes increasingly and tremendously engaging. So we should all look for ways to have all five of these characteristics built into our jobs. Additionally, um, here we see nine approaches to increasing employee engagement and morale. None of this should be rocket science. I think you've probably talked about these things in your own workplaces before. The challenge is having a commitment to doing these on a regular basis. Uh, so take number one, for example, value, values and purpose, the why. I was just talking about this a little bit on the last slide um, where you have to have jobs that are designed in such a way that, that employees can have a meaningful impact both for their team, for their organization, as well as for the community. That comes back to this values and purpose, the why question. If they're going to have a job that they wake up in the morning and they're excited to get to work, they have to be able to answer the why question. They need to have that purpose. Uh, and organizations often don't put enough time or energy into helping communicate that to employees and helping employees uh, recognize that and listening to employees in terms of what they want and what they value and what the, their driving purpose would be. Communication, of course, is always a challenge uh, and an opportunity uh, in every organization. And so the more you have good, open communication, the more you're going to have employees that are connected and, and engaged. Uh, health and wellness, both in terms of mental and physical health. Uh, organizations that have good health and wellness programs tend to have more engaged uh, and, and more motivated employees with higher morale. You have to think about the physical work space as well. Um, What's the office set up? Is it an open office environment? Are people in cubicles? Are people in individual offices? Uh, and what are the reasons behind those decisions? Uh, a lot of times organizations simply, it's just status quo. It's like whatever's been done before uh, and that they just continue it. But are you really thoughtfully thinking about, you know, taking a step back and thinking about what you're doing and why and how the office place is set up and what you hope to accomplish? Is it a collaborative environment physically for people to get together? Number five, do you have well-defined roles? People, in order to feel good about their jobs and engaged in their jobs, they need to know what they're doing and they need to know what they're accountable for and they need to know what their expectations are and they need to know what they need to do to reach those expectations. You can't do that without well-defined jobs. Uh, relationship with colleagues is so important. One of the most important elements that I see in all of the, my research when I look at job satisfaction and employee engagement it's the workplace relationships. Uh, if you want employees to stay in a job, they need to have people that they like working with. And, and employees will put up with a lot. They'll put up with a lot of organizational crap. They'll put up with kind of less than ideal work environment, physical work environment. They'll put up with less than interesting jobs uh, if they have good workplace relationships. The, work, the flip side is also true. When you have uh, individuals, they can have an amazing job uh, where they're doing super interesting work. They love what they're doing. Um, they're getting paid well. They're getting good benefits. Uh, all of that's happening. But then they have a bad boss or they have horrible coworkers that they can't stand being around. And there are a few things that will cause people to run and leave the company faster than, than relationships. So we want to make sure that we have that right and we get the right people in to form our teams. We need to make sure we have good recognition and incentives. Uh, we always need to look for buy-in from managers uh, to support each other, support the organizational vision and mission, uh, 
and culture uh, and to support the, their subordinates and the, and the line employees. And then especially with Gen Z and millennial workers, they need to see opportunity for personal growth and development. That doesn't just mean career development, but that means all aspects of personal growth and development. And if they don't have that, they're gonna move on to another opportunity. But another way we have uh, here, eight factors of employee engagement, several things that we need to really think about. So accountability, there always needs to be a clear understanding of accountability. We need to make sure that there's clear purpose. We need to make jobs uh, and tasks and roles that are agile. We need to have opportunities for recognition. We need to take good care of our employees and help them, give them opportunities for self-care. We need to foster an environment of trust and development. We need to put resources behind our employees. If you think about all the different types of capital that are at the disposal of an organization, you know, you have the plant equipment, land, you have financial capital, all the, all the physical capital, you have the products that are being created, uh, intellectual property, you have all these different forms of capital. Um, and you invest a lot into the security and protection of, of these forms of, of capital and assets. Um, if you're in a factory setting and you have a big piece of equipment, you're going to make sure that that's regularly maintained uh, so that it works properly. Now think about the human capital. Think about the human asset or the human resources within an organization. If you want high-performing individuals within an organization, you have to put the resources behind their continual development. You have to continually maintain them. You have to up their skills. You have to uh, make sure they're in proper working order. And that requires resources. And a lot of organizations tend to skim on the people resources. Uh, they, they can't get away with skimping on mechanical uh, maintenance because the whole thing would shut down. Uh, but but they, a lot of times they will skip on, on the people resources. So we need to think thoughtfully about that and make sure we know where our priorities are. And finally, before I end for questions, uh, a few other ideas about steps to improve employee engagement. And these come from uh, an article uh, from 2017 uh, titled Five Steps for uh, Improving Employee Engagement uh, by the HR Daily Advisor editorial staff. Uh, so you can go and find this article and look at it in more depth. Uh, you can also click the links uh, that you see here on the slide and find out more uh, information on each of these uh, tips and steps. Uh, but I did want to briefly uh, highlight these as I think very tangible, immediate things that you can do within your organization to improve employee engagement. Implementing stay interviews. So many organizations have exit interviews. So they wait until someone leaves. It's usually someone that they don't want to leave who's going to be a loss to the company. And then they ask them a series of questions. They ask them why they're leaving. What could have caused them to stay? Well, what if instead of waiting until a good employee leaves and, and performing an exit interview, what if instead you did stay interviews and you actually talk with people more proactively in their jobs to learn about what's going well, what's not going well, how they're engaged, how they're not engaged, what their expectations are for their future, uh, both in the long-term, the short-term and the long-term. When we do stay interviews, then we can be more responsive to employee needs, we can reduce turnover, and we can uh, drastically improve uh, engagement. Uh, think about offering a mentor. 
this can be both formal mentoring, but it can also be informal mentoring opportunities, but encouraging mentoring, have a mentoring environment and culture within your organization. Consider gamification. So increasingly employers are looking for opportunities to gamify the workplace environment and tasks that uh, employees are being asked to perform. And this can re-energize sometimes stale tasks and jobs and uh, can be interesting to uh, a wide range of employees. Hold managers accountable. So many employees who leave a company are upset at their boss. And a lot of times they're upset because they feel like there's no accountability. They feel like they're being held accountable for things that are out of their control while their boss is not being held accountable for anything. Uh, so hold managers accountable. And finally, create a culture of wellness. Again, not just wellness in terms of physical wellness and health, but also uh, mental health and uh, overall relationship wellness within the organization. And if you can do these five things, in addition to thinking about the job characteristics model and thinking about uh, some of the other elements and steps that I discussed on the previous slides, I think you can have engaging uh, worker, engaged workers and engaging workplace. And this transcends job type. This, this transcends um, uh, the shifting nature of work. If you can have engaging jobs, there will always be jobs for people. Uh, technology and computers can't take everything over. There are still always going to be jobs for people. They may look different than the jobs of today, but there will always be jobs for people. And so these elements of engagement tend to stay fairly consistent over time. And if, if they, they, they uh, play out differently in different contexts, but they tend to stay consistent over time. And if we can uh, implement these into our organizations, then we're going to be better uh, in a position to respond uh, to changing global uh, environment and workplace demands. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.